Welcome to the cafeteria, where everyone gets a serve. My guest on episode two of the cafeteria is a very special person. She's a woman, she's a wife, she's a mother, she's a life, and she ought to be congratulated. According to her LinkedIn profile, she's been the head of everything arts in Australia. She's now the executive producer of the Adelaide Cabaret Festival. And as I record this, we are hours away from launching her 2022 program, which, let's be honest, is more exciting than Christmas. Strap in for a very insightful chat with Superwoman Alex Sinclair. Alex Sinclair, welcome to the cafeteria. Hello, Kath Alcorn. <laughs> How lovely to be here. How are you? Oh, look, I'm really excited. I'm at that point now and say we are, you know, it's not quite there yet, but I'm at that point now where apprehension is becoming excitement. Um, it's been a long time in the planning and, you know, I think when we've got pandemics and all of those other spanners that come into the work, it just sort of makes everything feel, you know, 10, 20 times more work than, you know, kind of what we're used to. So, but at the other end of that, the sense of accomplishment when it all comes together is great. So I'm really excited. Well, you've only got a few odds against you. You know, the world's nearly, you know, on the verge of World War Three. COVID is starting to rear its ugly head again. And you've got a festival to produce. How are you going to get people out of their houses into the Festival Centre this June? Well, I really think that people are just raring to go. Mm -hmm. I really do think people are raring to go. And I think coming from South Australia, I've been here for the last year. Um, We've been relatively sheltered from it, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. But with the borders opening in November of last year, I think this was our real first taste of, you know, big waves. Mm -hmm. But I think that people are just there. I think we're in a, as I've had it referred to, we're in a vaccinated economy. So I think that is, (laughs) I think people... It's a nice way of putting it. It is a vaccinated economy. (laughs) But I think that is giving people some confidence, particularly younger, younger demographics. And so I think come June, everybody's, they're just going to be bursting to get back into the theatre. Well, how does it feel to be back in Adelaide? You are a born and bred Adelaidean and you had a little sabbatical in Sydney for a number of years, but tell me about growing up in Adelaide. It's a really wonderful place to grow up and I think that with a, as you mentioned before, I am a mum and I've got a 12 and a half year old son, well, he's nearly 13 now, and so I think, you know, growing up here, I knew that I would love to have that for him Mm -hmm. as well. It's a really terrific place. Um, I love growing up in Adelaide. I have got a brother who is also very musical and we both went to a high school, Marriottville High School, that had a special interest music program. And my husband, Nick, who's a little bit older than me, but he went through that same program, but a few years ahead of me. And so we were absolutely immersed in music and with musicians and everything from that kind of 12 to 13 year old age. So it really kind of did have a place in my life really, really early on. And I think being with those like-minded people, that's really what I remember the most about growing up in Adelaide was just being absolutely immersed in music and art and drama with like-minded people of my own age um, was really a great foundation for the love of kind of what I do now. And once I sort of got out of that and I went to university and I did a, I did a music degree at the Elder Conservatorium here, and it's interesting growing up in Adelaide or when I did, was there, are, there seem to be two types of people. There's the people that recognise how fantastic it is in Adelaide and want to stay mm-hmm. and those that 
just dream of doing other places in bigger cities. Mm-hmm. And both my brother and I were like that. And so that's how I ended up in Sydney. And thanks to your folks as well, I hear they've got a pretty wicked music collection. They were musical people as well, musical lovers. My dad just did my family history a little while ago and I'm, I regretfully, he spent so much time on it, but it took me a little while to kind of actually get to it and really delve into it. And I always knew that there were musicians in the family, but I wasn't quite aware of just how far back it goes and just how extraordinary they were. So my G4, as they're told, my great, 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 great grandfather. Yep, well done. Um, <laughs> was, uh, he worked at a conservatorium with Brahms, like they were contemporaries. Yeah. That is incredible. Yeah. So he, I know, right? Wow. I know. So, so he it's was in the DNA. It's in the it's DNA. In the lineage. And he was a euphonium champion. And apparently there are conservatories all over Germany and he was one in Hamburg with Brahms. And so that's, and then my grandmother, my dad's mum, who I didn't know had a kind of musical gene, but she, she could just read music like it was the newspaper and played piano wow. for all the, for all the school dances and all those kinds. So it's all there for kind of generations. So although my parents weren't musicians, that just that real deep appreciation. So anything that we wanted to know about was always there. And your brother's an extraordinary jazz musician as well. He's an extraordinary jazz musician. James Muller is my brother, my big brother, ARIA Award winner. <gasps> Shut up. I know. ARIA Award winner, best jazz album sometime, and a couple of other nominations. <laughs> That's for- in his contract. He's got to be in the <laughs> introduced as ARIA Award winner, James Muller. ARIA Award winner. Yeah, really, really extraordinary mm. musician. Now is a lecturer full-time at the university here, so he made the move back to Adelaide too. So he's come home as well. He's How lovely. He's come home as well, yeah. Isn't yeah. it fun? how you, in certain times of your life, in different seasons of your life, you realise how good it is to come back. And when you're in a certain, you know, part of your life or age of your life, you can come back and just say, yes, I already loved the city when I grew up here, but I went and I flew and I learned some life lessons and now I'm bringing them all back. And landing the executive producer role of the Adelaide Cabaret Festival, which is, for all the listeners out there, is the biggest and most celebrated cabaret festival in the world. Mm-hmm. Was this a bucket list item for you? Was it something that you, you know, you plotted and schemed and planned to to do one day or was it just a sort of natural evolution? Because prior to Adelaide Cabaret Festival, you were at the Sydney Opera House as the head of events and sales and you were with the Sydney Symphony and you started out in booking artists and uh, what would what would you have called yeah, your a, first? I was a booking agent, yeah. Yeah, booking agent, tour yeah. manager. Yeah, so booking agent, tour promoter and a festival kind of, you know, call it a festival producer now, but mm. just sort of at the time, you know, it's kind of rock and roll festivals a long time ago. Um, and so in answer to your question, was it carefully plotted and planned? No. Mm. I'm, I'm not a woo-woo person, Cass. I'm not a woo-woo person. <laughs> but... Interestingly, I reckon about a year ago, and it would have been just after we moved back to Adelaide, and I was having a quiet moment, and there was a little bit of a light bulb that went on, and I was like, hang on a minute, everything that I've kind of thought about has happened in the now. And that actually kind of freaked me out a bit, because I I think there's a, a kind of... I don't know, maybe for me there's a thought that either you're woo-woo and you consciously kind of manifest everything or you consciously kind of think that you, um, you know, read the secret and all those kinds of things <laughs> or you're really academic about it and you just kind of plot and plan and mm-hmm. do all of those kinds of things. And I suppose I did a little bit of both mm-hmm. without kind of going, 
it's a five-year plan and I'm going to be doing that in five right. years or without kind of going a vision board or any of those sorts of things. Sure. So it's so it's really a mix of trusting in the universe, mm, really, yep. And, yep. and having something delivered and you sort of noticing the signs and feeling that everything was right paired with, oh, okay, well, I am ticking all of these boxes. All of my experiences to date are sort of leading me to this role. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. So just like with anything, it's a lot of hard work, as you would know, Kath, as you would know. <laughs> it's a lot of hard work, but as you say, it's also a bit of trust in the universe and a bit of faith as well. And why I believe that you are quite perfect for this job is because you did flirt with a little artistry in your time as well. She used to step behind the mic I as did. a little jazz vocalist. I Tell did. me about those days, please. Again, you know, I think like I said before, when I was at school and, you know, it was, I was just surrounded by, it was just, it just seemed like the most natural thing in the world that that's what you do and you'd strive to be. I mean, it's just amazing that just speaking with Nick about it, Nick's my husband, um, about those alumni from Marriottville High School and that school. And it's just extraordinary. Like there are operatic divas in German opera companies, like, you know, like print, like heavy principal singers, heavy, heavy principal musicians in the Berlin Phil, in the, in the Vienna Phil, like really kind of serious. Something in the torrents, something something in the water. Something in the water, for (laughs) sure. There, I, there has to be. I don't, I don't know what it is, but yeah, it just, so I'm not, you know, certainly not a, you know, principal of a Vienna Philharmonic, um, you know, material. That's but all I right, does. Th- You've got a fair bit on your plate. Just a so, little bit. Yeah, May just I a touch. It maybe for the next five years. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So in the introduction, I said that uh, I introduced you as a mother, as a wife, as a sister, as a daughter, as an executive producer. How do you balance it all? Do you balance it all? God, no. (laughs) Yay! God, no. God, no. Of course not. Thank God. Because on the surface, you look pretty together, babes. Like you've you've got it all together. But, you know, talk me through it. Um, It's a shit show. Oh, yeah. You know, it's something that I think about a lot, Mm -hmm. particularly as a feminist. Yes. Feminist in me. Yes, I think as a woman, it's an innate thing that you do, yep. that you just do. You do it. And the more that kind of gets on the plate, the more space that you make. Yeah. So if I you th- want something done, give it to a busy person. A hundred percent. And I think women just, you know, women are just wired to do things that, to that multitask. way. To multitask and to make space. But certainly not always easy because your husband is also a musician. He's a bass player. He's a session musician. Session yeah. musician. Yeah. So you're working with two pretty... Uh, volatile schedules. There's a lot of toing and froing. You know, do you have the do you have the monthly schedule on the board? Do you have a little? Do you have any of that sort of stuff? Yeah, we've got organize? the whiteboard. You've got a whiteboard. We've got the whiteboard. I'm black. Nick is blue, and Lewis is purple. Yep. Texter Love on it. the whiteboard, and it's really interesting. Again, I was thinking about this. It's really interesting that you say that, and I think there was always when we long time ago, well, thirteen years ago, when we thought about having a family and I uh, was pregnant with Lewis, it was always a kind of unspoken thing that I would work and yep. Nick would be primary carer. That doesn't work for everybody, but it certainly worked for us. Nick actually has a degree in early childhood education oh. as well as being a session musician. So um, that helps. That helps. Mm. And, you know, he just he just loves kids. And so it was. we were just really fortunate that that was never a, you know, I don't, two really career-driven people yeah. would be really difficult. And I think there was definitely a lot of, luck in there that there was just that kind of unspoken sort of agreement between the two of us is that's how it would work. And yes, I think there is harmony that comes from a common 
purpose. And, and that, that I think, is worth I mean, a lot of, as, again, a lot of hard work and yeah. certainly nothing compared to being on stage after giving birth five weeks ago. That's extraordinary. Well, I don't know what I was thinking. I was just doing it. Like you said, yeah. you know, I knew it was a task task that I had to do, that I wanted to do, and I just did it. Doesn't mean that there were problems with me physically afterwards, mm. putting my body through that when I still had all of that relaxant in my mm. system or that I felt so guilty about not being with my baby 24-7, you know, that's something, um, as I said, mum guilt is something that we could talk about for, for such a long time. As soon as that baby leaves your loins mm-hmm. and the cord is cut, you feel guilty, mm-hmm. let's be honest. You do, you, you, you do. About, yeah. about, about something, about anything. But, yeah, I did it. It's, it's just what you do, I think, and especially in this industry, which isn't the kindest, isn't the most forgiving out of sight, out of mind. As a woman. As a woman. Yep. And I I reckon there's really something to be said as a woman between women is the having it all thing. Mm. We've been sold a bit of a... Bit of a lie. Bit of a lie. Yeah. And so I think it's really important when you're busy and you're doing lots of things to say... It's okay if you don't. Yes. But also it's okay to not be great at every you're not great at everything. Like yeah. that's the thing is you sure you can do it all. Can you do it all brilliantly 100% of the time? No. And give yourself a break, you know, when you drop a few balls here and there and also give yourself permission to drop some of those balls. Like I love that expression. Yeah. Some are rubber and some are glass. Yes, that is perfect. That is so true. It's so true. Because the pressure that we put on ourselves as women, I think, to achieve and then to be the greatest mum, the greatest partner, the greatest daughter, the greatest friend, it's a lot. Mm. It's it a is. lot. It is um, a lot. We're not perfect and we can't control anything really. Um, but Look, let's talk about the program. Let's talk Shall about we, the program. Please? All right. Now, artistic director, I I did dangle a carrot before. I was having a conversation with her earlier today. Artistic director for the 2022 Adelaide Cabaret Festival is none other than the iconic Tina Arena. Tina Arena AM. O-M-G. Extraordinary. It just feels so right. There's such a beautiful synergy between Tina's work and her Parisian life and and it just feels really good. It feels really good. And the program that you and Tina have put together is extraordinary. Thank you. And... Who needs an international star? Hello, we have got the cream of the crop of the world stage, and they're all Australian yeah, artists. They are, bar a couple. We've got we've we've couple. done that thing where we've sort of made New Zealand artists our own. You know that, that thing that we do. Yeah, and we trans Tasman, trans Tasman, and we do have one. We do have one American act too. I'll just we'll, yeah, get, to we'll get to that. We'll get but to yeah, that. Predominantly, a hundred percent. Australian, and that was the thing that Tina really wanted to highlight with the program is that heritage and that culture that we have within our own Australian fabric. That was something that she really, really wanted to highlight, and I think we've done that well. Oh, incredibly well. I'm just going to rattle off some of the names, if you don't mind, here. Headliner Marsha Hines, comedian Paul McDermott. The gala is directed by none other than the Adelaide King, Mitchell Butel. Uh, we've got Charmaine Jones. We have got Lior Thando, Jess Hitchcock, Wendy Matthews, Sophie Coe, and featuring Tina Arena in Songs My Mother Taught Me. That sounds so beautiful. 
We've got comedian and performer Oliver Twist, who's going to reflect on his time as a refugee from Rwanda in a delicately told and unforgettable one-person show that proves exceptional storytelling and belly-aching laughter are powerful antidotes to trauma. Totally. Wow. That is going to be an amazing show. He has done the Sydney Festival. He's done Brisbane Festival. He's done Perth Festival with this show. He is a stand-up comedian, but... um, Obviously, this subject matter is not all belly aching laughter. No, um, but it's a one man show. It's beautifully told, and it's not. It's one of those beautiful shows that's not. It's not linear at all. Right. So we are with him in Rwanda. We are with him when it gets pretty dicey in Rwanda, and we go to Malawi, and then from Malawi to Ipswich. In Queensland. <laughs> From Malawi to Ipswich, of all places. That makes sense. And then where... What took him to Ipswich? Well, the refugee status. Wow. That's, that's where he and his family um, stationed. were stationed. Yeah. And then from Ipswich to Sydney and then back again in, in an hour. It's it's absolutely extraordinary. Beautiful story. It's just an incredible feat to be able to put that trauma into your art and onto stage like that. It's I, I, I can't wait to see that show. Oh, my gosh, we've got three pages here, folks, because it is such a huge program. So we have got in a special Adelaide premiere, First Nations regional musicians and performers Kuko, Katie Aspel and Rob Edwards will bring a mix of blues, jazz and folk in a night of remarkable sound and storytelling in Trail on June 19. What is Trail? This regional Indigenous live. She's nailed it. She's absolutely nailed it. I did it. Actually, don't have the acronym spelled out here. But look, you nailed it, Tiles. You nailed it. Trail. Well done. Um, International acts including swing band Davina and the Vagabonds. Now, this Catherine Alcorn. Yes, Alex. Is get yourself to the Spiegel tent for this one. Uh, Davina and her Vagabonds were due to perform in the 2020 festival, (gasps) um, which didn't happen because... COVID, as we say all the time, because COVID. Because COVID. Um, I BC. Was, BC. I was unfamiliar with Davina and the Vagabonds, but speaking with her uh, agent in America, I dived right in. Mm-hmm. And the best way that I can describe her to anybody that asks is Louis Prima and Nina Simone had a baby. Shut up. Shut up. Take my Take money. It. And she is, it is just it's shout choruses for days, oh. it's gospel, it's sassy, it's so fun and fabulous. It's a big old dance hall. It's a big what, old yes. dance hall in the Spiegel tent in the uh, opening weekend. Oh, songs of Fats Domino to Aretha Franklin and Tom Waits in a show led with a New Orleans charm and Memphis soul in the famous Spiegel tent over the first weekend. weekend. Look, I might not even make it into my own show because I'm going to be at Davina and the Vagabonds the entire time. That sounds incredible. How much fun. Then we move on to South Australian cabaret favourites, Amelia Ryan, Michaela Berger and Michael Griffiths, who will celebrate the golden age of rock and roll, sexual revolution and the leaps and bounds of women's liberation in Simply Brill, the women who defined rock and roll. So the Brill building in New York is was that was the hit factory, was the music factory. So that's where <laughs> Carol King was. And Amelia has written a show with Michaela and Michael that kind of talks about, you know, it's very much about white people writing songs for black voices. Right. Which is a really big part of this story. But also women like Carol King really finding a place in a very, very male 
kind of dominated industry. Yep. So as well as the best soundtrack that you could possibly wish for, again, the, just those incredible, incredible stories of, you know, how this kind of stuff just shaped society. Oh. Amazing. And Amelia and Michael and Michaela are such loved artists from South Australia. I mean, they've gone on. Michaela has won a Helpman and Michael Griffiths has won a Helpman. Mills, you're on your way, I can tell you. Oh, yeah. But look, again, there must be something in the Torrens because the work that these artists produce and create here in Adelaide, I mean, they're just you know, not only wonderful people, but wonderful artists. They're so loved. So I'm really excited to see Simply Brill. And I love learning about, his, you know, the music history and the history of music that I just didn't know. I didn't even know that the Brill building existed. I, there you go. Yeah, it's true. And I love it, you know, particularly with these artists. And I love when we come time to start programming these festivals and, you know, with artists like you and with artists like Amelia and Michaela and, you know, we'll talk about Libby O'Donovan, you know, another South Australian favourite, that great opportunity as an executive producer to go, what do you got for me? Yes. Yeah. And they go, oh, I had this idea about, you know, the Brill Building or, you know, we'll talk about Libby's show. I had this idea where I was going to do. And then to be able to have a platform so that they know that they've got something, you know, and obviously with you as well, Kath, something to work towards, you know, a platform, a festival, a show where in cabaret as an art form, which is just so, in some ways it's great because it's kind of nebulous and, you know, that question, what does, what, what does cabaret mean to you, you know, and you can really answer it any way that you want to, but at its core is songs and stories, right? Absolutely. And so for you guys and for those kind of artists to be able to, to just know that they are so loved um, but that they are so creative and to have that opportunity to go, right, June, what do you got for me? That's great. And honestly, as an artist, to be on the receiving end of that opportunity is gold. It just, it it means so much to be able to have an open conversation with a festival director who answers the phone, has the time, wants to listen to your ideas, wants to cultivate those ideas, wants to wants to commission those ideas. I mean, it's it's really special and it's it's sacred to me as an artist. I always know that that I've got the support, I've got the platform in the Adelaide Cabaret Festival and I know that so many artists out there. I mean, the Cabaret Festival over its 22 years has commissioned so many incredible works that are still touring all around the world today. So what would you tell a budding cabaret performer, what what sort of advice would you give them uh, in the early stages of their career or having just completed school or just completed college, university? How would you, because uh, I really think it's about relationships, isn't it? It's about cultivating relationships Absolutely. and honouring those relationships. So, and I know when I was first starting out, I sat for, I'd produced a little show, it's called The Divine Miss Bet. And I love that. I love that you call it a little show. I love that show. That's when we first met was when you did that little show. That little show. At the Opera House, at the Sydney Opera House little That's show. Right. Well, that love little that show. show. Back in 2010, it was a little show. I was opening it on uh, in Slide Lounge on Oxford Street and I invited every agent in the world to come. None of the buggers showed up, but the show kept on selling for 12 months and, you know, 12 years later, she's still kicking a heel. Um, but... I had recently moved back from overseas. I didn't know anyone. I'd moved back to Sydney after living away for a long time. And so I just got on the phone. I got on the phone and I called every theatre 
in Australia to build my black book. I didn't know that there were institutions that, you know, or or like Country Arts SA who could just give you, you know, your database or anything mm. like that. Mm. But what I what that process afforded me of calling and speaking to those theater presenters, managers, directors was that I was able to build a relationship with them. Mm. You know, it mm. took, I remember sitting down for a week and making those phone calls and then calling back if I wasn't able to reach them the first time and and really organically building up this little black book of mine, of which I still have. It's now in a very tidy, tidy data sheet or something, whatever you call that, pro Excel or something, I don't know. Um, but that process really afforded me to organically build those relationships. So for a young person coming out at the beginning of their career or even someone who's mid mid career but wants to get into this space that we're so lucky to be part of what sort of advice do you have for them that is just i mean it's just such a big question it is it's a really big question and you know just seeing how hard you work you know and, and again we talked about um you know we talked about life pre internet mm. and I certainly am not of the school where I think, you know, millennials and the next generation, you know, this this whole idea. I know Kim Kardashian's just got into hot water saying nobody wants to work. Just get off your ass and work. Just get off your ass just and work. Just get off your ass and be born rich. I certainly don't subscribe to that at all, mm. but I do think it's different. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. Um, so I'm going to go off on another tangent because no, that's just it. what you and I do. Yeah, it is. But it's really interesting speaking with Nick who, as I've mentioned several times before, you can tell I love him a little bit. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> um, has been a session musician for 30-odd years. Um, you know, first you know, first call session musician, big tours, international mm. tours, all those sorts of things. And then he is now seeing that shift, that zeitgeist shift of maybe he's not first call anymore because maybe there's a move towards having – a, a diversity in the in the pit that sure. hasn't been there before, whether that be more women, whether that be more people of colour, whether that be, I don't know, you know, people from other places. Mm -hmm. And so I think you and I are of the, I'm a little bit older than you, a little bit further down the path of life than you are, but not by much, <laughs> I don't think. No, not really. Um, out the way that we kind of came into this industry was exactly as you described, which is... Cold calling. Cold calling, do the gig, get a gig call the person, make your networks, and then you'll become first call for those. And then you, you know, whereas now for young people, it's I don't, tricky it's tricky. There. And I don't think that there is that kind of, there's not that pay your dues kind of thing. It's like, there's a university course or a TAFE course for everything. Yeah. And, you know, having come from university, but it wasn't solely university mm. or solely a course. It was you know, when I was a performer, it was I could go and do a like a piano bar gig for whatever, $90 on a Thursday night. I mean, th and that's where we all had this kind of, you know, so the, I've, I've, again, I'm off on a tangent and I've moved away, but I do think it's important to recognise that the landscape has, has changed, changed enormously. Dramatically, yes. So what does experience or paying you dues kind of look like? You know, that's, I think that is just such a, that's such a question. And I think that for me as a producer, who's kind of going around selecting work, it's like, I recognise that I may not be able to go and see you do your Wednesday night piano bar gig. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's looking at your TikTok account instead. 
Do you know what I mean? But maybe if your parents let you have one, if your parents, <laughs> <laughs> you've just put a tick in the plus. The Lewis is going to love you. Um, yeah, maybe it's looking at a TikTok account. Maybe it's looking at a Vimeo thing. Maybe it's looking at a at a YouTube. Maybe it it's looking. You know, dare I get into this whole kind of competition and the voice and all that kind of stuff? Please don't. So, it's just a real. I would hate to be. I think a younger artist kind of trying to do what you're doing now because I just, I think that landscape has shifted but it Mm. hasn't shifted to a really definite place. Mm. It's still kind of, it's still kind of moving and changing. Well, I think there are, obviously there's pros and cons with everything but I I personally feel like I've moved at a glacial pace and maybe that is because of where I started. Back in 2010, it feels like, you know, things have, have moved slowly for me whereas today I can just, slide into someone's DM and send them a link and then they can mm. see, you know, but also people are so busy now and but but then they're getting so much information. So are they actually reading those messages? I mean, there's peaks and troughs with either way that you try and approach it, isn't yeah, there? There are. And I guess we've we've kind of set it up in the with the cabaret process in that we do have an expressions of interest. So this is what process. I wanted to talk to you about. So what is the normal process of curating a festival? That is such a good question. And this is the second festival that I've had some involvement in curating with uh, with two very, very different artistic directors. Mm. Um, so for 2021, it was Alan Cumming. Oh, I know. Heaven. I know. Extraordinary, extraordinary, extraordinary. And then we've already said that this is Tina Arena. <gasps> so what I know, I mean, I mean. Oh, my God. But to answer your question, the processes for both of these artistic directors have been the absolute polar opposites of wow. each other. So Alan, you know, because he's been a fringe performer, as you know, as before he was an international movie star, you know, he and he loved his time in Australia and mm. that was sort of the linchpin for the festival. Mm. But he knew exactly who he wanted and where he wanted them to be and what he wanted them to do. And I've got this great analogy when people ask me this question to kind of show the difference between Alan and, and Tina. So Alan Cumming would say, there's an artist in New York and he paints with his penis. And, and you say. We say, <laughs> great. And he said, his name is Brent Ray Fraser and he paints with his penis and we are going to have Brent Ray Fraser at the Adelaide Cabaret Festival 2021. Right? So that's the way that Alan operates. Got it. Tina goes really interested in physical art. Mm. I'm really interested in how people can create art with their bodies or with something other than a brush. I'm really interested in about how that kind of art is created. So she could have toured out and presented the man who paints with his penis then too. <laughs> so I guess so. <laughs> but it's a different way of getting so there. So it's a different way of getting there, yeah. right? So then me and my team go, great, it's kind of what Tina wants to do and she's kind of thinks, so then we would go, there's a somebody that paints with their toes or there's somebody that does the thing or whatever and we would end up perhaps with Brent Ray Fraser who paints with his penis. But I, the, I guess the what I'm where I'm coming from is that Alan is very was very prescriptive yes. about exactly what he wanted. He had a vision. Had a vision. Mm. Whereas Tina has still has a vision. Yes. Very much has a vision, but she is more much more about the atmosphere that she wants to create. Right. Much more about how she wants the audience to feel. Mm. Much more about how the really that you know the the tagline let us lead you astray it's really came from 
um, wanting to create worlds. Right. And also because she's a Melbourneian, she's been locked up for, you know, months and months and months. I, I'd say that flippantly. I don't mean that, you know, in isolation or in lockdown for months and months and months and months. So this idea of creating worlds to explore yes. with fewer international artists, but also this idea and the way that she framed it, which is quite poetic actually, was that these things that were once felt like, like just what we were talking about earlier, like connection and art and live performance, these things that once felt like a luxury are now absolutely necessary mm. to our ongoing life. So in answer, I come back again about how you curate a festival. So with Alan, I came I came in about 80% of the program was done when I started in the job. Right. So there was just a few gaps to fill in. So with Tina, this is the kind of first and it's big, you know, it's tw mm. it's 12 days and nights, it's 36 shows, Incredible. 92 performances for wow. the 36 shows. So in curating a festival, we know, so there were some artists like we had with Davina in The Vagabonds that we know that we really wanted to kind of showcase. So we had those already kind of sitting ready to go in one pile. We have our expressions of interest from they open normally about a month after the festival concludes. So mm -hmm. uh, the expressions of interest for 2022 were live at the, towards the end of July mm -hmm. for 2021. And then we have our wish lists and hit lists. Yeah. So with Tina, we spent a really good, it's the first time we've worked together. It's the first time that she's done anything like this. So it was like, what do you want it to be? Yeah. And so the first kind of month or six weeks was really teasing it out. It's like, what do you want it to be? And it became pretty obvious pretty quickly, actually, <laughs> which was great. Yeah. You know, she was just kind of like, mm, but we managed to kind of get it all down. And so, yeah, so we had a, you know, we had those people that we knew that we, that we really wanted to, that hadn't perhaps been able to perform for 2020, mm -hmm. that we really wanted to present. We had those, um, those expressions of interest, which, you know, it's hundreds that we get. And we do, I will tell you for any of those listening out there wondering, we absolutely read every single one of them. We watch every single Vimeo, every single YouTube link. That's incredible. So, I'm so any glad to hear fringe, that. you know, we spend a lot of time. This Mad March just gone in Adelaide. You know, we spend a lot of time at the fringe. You know, for those artists that we've received expressions of interest from, and having the opportunity to go and see them perform and live and do all of those things, we absolutely do take them all very seriously. No. And then, you know, as we see the world opening up again, you know, we have opportunities with international artists to kind of grab on to any Australian tour opportunities. And so we've got those, you know, speaking about relationships, that's something from my sort of time at the, at the Opera House and at the Symphony and, you know, working as a booker and all of those kinds of things. I've got those relationships with agents from Australia and from around the world where I can just call them up and go, so June 2023, who you got? And Amazing. And they'll so, say, so essentially and so and an so artist so. can come out, play Adelaide Cabaret Festival, tour to the Sydney Opera House, perform with the Sydney Symphony, maybe head down to the Arts Centre in Melbourne and, and possibly do the same, head up to QPAC. And that is... Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. So that's how you can that's, that's how, how you can, can essentially it. make it all work. Yeah. So we're part of the Adelaide Festival Centre is part of what we call the Ozpac Network, mm -hmm. which is the Australian Performing Arts Centre network. You just rattled them all off. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's definitely something that we would do is, you know, and so again, if the artistic director says, I love Kristen Chenoweth, I don't know, just as an example. <gasps> I mean, we all do. 
And I was her roomie <gasps> in 2013 when Kate Sobrano commissioned my show based on the life of oh. Christine McVie. Christine Chenoweth was my roomie. I have a, uh, a signed cover of uh, a magazine that Christian is on and my name's like in teeny tiny 10-point font, but it says Catherine Alcorn. Uh, the story of Christine McVie, who obviously wrote Songbird. Yeah. And Kristen was so divine, so divine. She signed it and she said, Catherine, you are a songbird. And I just, we, we're still in touch today. And it was just a magical, magical experience divine. to be, to be with Chenoweth. So yeah, Beautiful. she actually name checked me in her show and I was in transit. I hadn't made it into the audience yet. It's still one of those cringe <laughs> moments where I told her I was going to the performance. She name checked me in the first 10 minutes. I was still in transit after coming back from another show and there were crickets oh, in the audience. Can. And oh no, can you believe it? Kristen, I'm so sorry. I will never forgive myself for that moment, but she was so gracious. Oh. She's an amazing person, yeah, incredible I performer. It. I don't doubt it. Mm. All right. So looking at the 2022 Adelaide Cabaret Festival, it is staggering. There are three pages here. I am just going to go ahead and rattle off all of these incredible names. This year we can expect Marsha Hines, Paul McDermott, Mitchell Butel, First Nations regional musicians and performers, Kuko, Katie Aspel, Rob Edwards, Davina and the Vagabonds in an Australian premiere. And we have a New Zealand company, a slightly isolated dog, bring Don Juan to the Space Theatre, bringing together physical comedy and twisted pop songs in a hilarious and irreverent show directed by the award-winning Leo Jean Peters. Oh, look who we've got here. Audiences will travel back in time with... Powerhouse Catherine Alcorn. Powerhouse is Catherine Alcorn. And maestro of mischief Phil Scott in 30-something, an immersive show set in Sydney's Bohemia King's Cross in New Year's Eve 1939, strongly encourage audience to get dressed up in their most fabulous 30s garb. You're going to spend the last hour of the decade with us in so the space theatre. I'm going to turn the tables on you, Kath Alcorn, oh, and I'm going to say here we go. 30-something <laughs> powerhouse vocalists, Kath Alcorn and Phil Scott. Tell me about this show, Kath. Tell me about it. Phil and I have wanted to work together for years. I am probably Phil Scott's Biggest fan. No, he's, second. He's, oh, really? Yeah. Well, get in line, babes. It's a long line, let me tell you. It is. Do you know? It, as it should be. As it should be, but it's just amazing who comes out of the woodwork when you mention that name. He is just an icon. Oh, so much so that listeners will remember the big gig, the Gillies Report, uh, Good News Week. The they, Wharf Review. The Wharf Review. I mean, now the Wharf Review has been touring for 20 mm. Years. It is one of Australia's greatest products, I think, in the world of theatre. Jonathan Biggins, Drew Forsyth, Phil Scott, and Mandy Bishop. They gather together every year. They tour. Like yeah, they, 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 you know, they're, they're touring six months of the year. Phil Scott is an absolute legend of the comedy theatre cabaret world. And I have wanted to work with him for so many years. So we got together and, and we actually did a show upstairs at Claire's Kitchen on Oxford Street. And it was just Catherine and Phil singing. But um, it was the first time we'd been on stage together. And we've got very, very similar senses of humour. Very silly irreverent and um, some would say insult comedy. <laughs> <laughs> 
comes so naturally, you know. Um, but we were just up there riffing and we tried a few different versions of, of songs that we love to perform and 30-something was kind of born. I mean, I live in Elizabeth Bay, which is just around the corner from King's Cross. Believe it or not, my grandfather Cliff and my grandmother Catherine lived in the Versailles building on Darlinghurst oh, Road. Amazing. They used to take my mum down to King's Cross when she was three years old, she'd fall asleep while they were having dinner in one of the bohemian clubs. And my grandfather was, he had an amazing tenor voice, but he was a plumber and he used to do the plumbing for the old lay girls building. Amazing. I know. So it was inevitable that I was just going to be a showgirl with pipes. You see? <laughs> see what you did there. See what I did there. Um Just that era, the decadence of the era, the music, the fashion, the the grittiness, the crime, yeah. the everything. Like I'm so hot for that. Totally. I'm so hot for totally. it, you know. Like I get really turned on by crims. I know how that sounds, but there's just that underworld. But that golden years of Hollywood crim oh. is a like that 30s crim is, yeah. a, is a whole pretty, other, pretty, yeah, it's pretty, pretty hot awesome. crim. <laughs> I'm with you. I am with you. Yeah, so we came up with this storyline um, that, well, it's it's not so much a storyline uh, as it is an abbreviated truth, I would say, or an exaggerated truth. Um, Phil and Catherine, the characters, the people, used to work together in the 30s before I shot off to America and was wowing Hollywood. So I've just come back from wowing Hollywood. I've been touring America. Phil's been touring Queanbeyan. He didn't really have the same <laughs> sort of takeoff. Um, but we've come back together for a very special reunion on New Year's Eve, 1939. It's the end of the era. Everyone's feeling really positive about the 40s. It's going to be a blast, you know. And uh, look, you know, it's really interesting doing a retrospective piece like this, knowing what came, knowing what is coming. And I have to say, when we were doing the research, we took ourselves on excursions. The Museum of Sydney had an incredible street photography exhibition on when Amazing. we were researching. So we doled up and we went in and we saw all of these photos from, you know, people in their Sunday best on a Tuesday strutting down Martin Place and the street photography was incredible and they had these these books and photographs of criminals from the cross in that year, in that month. Like the collection was spectacular. So that was a real gift to us to be, to be able to go and, and do that sort of research. But what we found was that... Looking back at the time, Sydney in 1939, they were experiencing the 6pm swill mm -hmm. where the pubs were shut early. Yep. Uh, they had the trams. They had bent cops and politicians doing their work. And hello. Hello. It's Sound familiar? Now. The parallels, the similarities between the two worlds. Yeah, that's wild. Is wild. So what that allows us to play with within the show really makes it this kaleidoscopic version back to but also Amazing. it's now. Amazing. And there's going to be some fabulous music. We do do some music from the era, Fats Waller, and we've got some Cole Porter in there, but then we also take Kylie... 
Minogue, everybody. We take Kylie, we take Lady Gaga, we take Phil Collins, we take Prince, and we've rearranged them into the 30s period for a big party, which it all is. And it's been incredible. The audiences have voluntarily come dressed up in their finest 30s garb. So please, I know you will not let us down, Adelaide. I won't. Now, enough about me. There's so much to catch in this program. I can't believe it. Alex Sinclair, we have so much to celebrate for the 2020 Adelaide Cabaret Festival. It is happening. You are a superwoman. I am so grateful to have had your time on the cafeteria today. What a treat. Thank you so much. We did get a serve. We did. did get a serve. (laughs) Well, that's what I'm here for, babes. Anytime. Anytime. Thanks, Kath. And there you have it, folks. What a woman. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Cafeteria. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to them. Leave me a little rating, a little review. I love to hear from you. I'll be back next week with another very special guest. See you then.